good to be in the house of the Lord, right? I love my church. I love meeting in this place. I love singing songs with all of you. I love the fact that I get to be the one to preach. Uh, I love uh, just seeing your smiling faces as you sing and your attentiveness. There is something about church that I absolutely could not live without. And don't get me wrong, uh, I love Jesus. Uh, all I have is Christ, but I couldn't imagine having Christ and not also having all of you. I, I just, I couldn't imagine that. I don't know how people survive without a church body. I don't know how people, I don't know how people make it in this life without being connected to a local church. It has been extremely important in my life over the past 30 years of being a believer. Um, since I've been a believer, I've always been a part of a church. I've always been connected to a local body of Christ. And its importance in my life is absolutely indispensable. In fact, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. This series that uh, I've been presenting to you from Romans entitled Missional Living as we're kind of winding down our series in Romans. We've talked about a lot in concern with how we're to live missionally. Uh, the Bible obviously tells us that we should verbally share the gospel the Bible also tells us that we should engage in cross-cultural missions. And I've had two sermons kind of back-to-back -back that hopefully has encouraged you in that way. I, I hope that a couple of Sundays ago when I asked you to pray for your lost friends and neighbors, I hope that you've had an opportunity to witness to them between now and then. Uh, I hope that as we continue to talk about cross-cultural missions, even in our announcement video this morning, there was, uh, there was a little blurb in there about our Asia mission trip that's coming up. Uh, maybe some of you would want to be involved in that. And so we've talked about these things, what it means to, uh, to, to live in a missional way. And then, of course, last week was about lifestyle worship. All of these things, when it comes to missional living, have to do with things that are outside of the church. I mean, after all, I mean, it's living on mission for God is something that, that has to emanate outside of the walls of these church. I mean, sharing our faith with our friends and co-workers, going on international mission, missions, living the way that we should. All of those are things outside the walls of the church. However, that's what I want to talk to you about today. Your effectiveness at living on mission outside the church is dependent upon a proper connection inside and to a local body of believers. If you are not vitally, functionally thriving as a, as a member and as a part, as a connected part of a local church, you're never going to be able to live missionally, not really. You're never, you're never really going to be able uh, to properly, I mean, what, if, if, you, if you verbally share the gospel with a friend and you're not connected to a local church, what, what, where are you going to tell them to go? Well, more than likely, they're probably going to do what you do. They're probably not going to go. And that's, that's not good for them. I, I mean, there's, there's something that is so incredibly important about seeing what we do here in this place together as important to the mission that God has called us to. So today I want to talk to you about church membership. 
I want to talk to you about church membership from Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through verse 8. We're going to look at these verses together, and we're going to see how being a good church member is the foundation of a missional life. And it is the will of Jesus for you to be relationally connected and actively functioning as a member of a church body. And we're going to look at some characteristics of a good church member today from Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and stand with me as we read these verses today from Romans chapter 12. We're going to start reading in verse 3. And you're going to immediately notice that this passage is about spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about that. Um, but uh, let's, let's begin reading in verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that today you would encourage all of us and help us to see that if we are in the vine, then we are close to and near to all the other branches. And Lord, it's through this way that we bear fruit. Lord, encourage us today. Show us how important each other is to our personal walk with you. Help us, God, to do your honor today and to bring you glory. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, church membership is not something that modern Christians invented. I think this is a big fallacy. That we think that somehow some smart people got together that had a good business mind and said, hey, Let's come up with this thing called church membership, just like we have down at the country club or wherever it is, and, uh, and let's do it at church. Now, admittedly, maybe churches have some processes that we have developed around church membership. Perhaps we have some things even here at Stephen Street that we have put into place that say, hey, this is a, this is a process, a function that we, that we think helps the, helps the uh um, the bringing together of the body, but we believe and we see in Scripture, and it should be pretty obvious from this Bible passage, as well as many others, that, um, that church membership, being a part of a local body, is just as biblical as preaching or singing or evangelism or mission or anything like that. In fact, our command for church membership really is rooted in the Old Testament 
uh, where we're told to honor the Lord's Day and to remember the Lord's Day. Now, uh, not the Lord's Day, excuse me, uh, to remember the Sabbath day. For us, we celebrate the Lord's Day, really kind of keeping in the tradition of the Old Testament saints. But in the New Testament, it's more than just one day of worship. In the New Testament, uh, being a part of the body of Christ is more than just church attendance and way more than just kind of having your name on the roll. In the New Testament, uh, being a member of the church is more akin to being a part of an organism than it is being a part of an organization. Y'all probably heard that term before to describe the church. The church is not just an organization. The church is a living, breathing organism. That's why it is called the body of Christ in Scripture. And so where does the term member come from? Why do we use the term member whenever we speak of people who are connected to and committed to a local body of Christ. Well, we get it from this passage of scripture that we just read in Romans chapter 12, which said that there are, we have many members, but we're one body. And the language that we just read uses the term member at least three times, maybe four times. I did, I did not count them, but um, you can go back and look at them later. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says the same thing. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says the same thing. It says that you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so our text today and these verses, additional verses from two additional books, show that the word member has more than just administrative, organizational functions. Member has to do with the fact that we are connected to a living, breathing, thriving organism, which is the body of Christ. So it's much different than being a part of the country club or whatever it might be. Um, we are more of a, a organism and not a mechanism. I don't want to keep using that word, but I think it's important because it's the difference between a heartbeat and a drum beat. One is alive and one is an inanimate object. We believe that God's church is alive. We don't believe that it can die. We believe that maybe a local building can be broken down and perhaps a group of people that gather together can be broken up, but the body of Christ cannot die. It is a living, breathing organism. That's why it's stated to be like a body. Um, so now obviously there are administrative and organizational processes that take place, but we have to be real careful that we don't overdo those things, you know. Um, like I know some churches, man, they have this thing, this, they, have, uh, uh, they have processes in place that come from uh, Robert's Rules of Order. Y'all probably Y'all probably heard of that guy, Robert's Rules of Order. Man, I know some people that, man, that the parliamentary procedure is like their Bible, you know, and I don't know about you, but my Bible says that Jesus should rule and order the church, not some Robert dude, right? And so um, this passage is more than just about spiritual gifts. That's why we're talking about church membership and not just spiritual gifts. These passage, passages, along with the passage in 1 Corinthians that gives us another list of spiritual gifts, 
they're not just about me personally finding what I'm good at. That's what a lot, how a lot of people see spiritual gifts. Me personally finding something that I'm good at. There's much bigger than that. It's about you being connected to the body. That's the whole point of this passage and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about you becoming a part, a member that is connected to the body of Christ. That's what it's all about, not me finding something that I'm good at and doing it. Listen, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about his kingdom. And that's what churches do. Churches are not an end in themselves. Churches serve the king and want to promote the kingdom. And so we're going to, I mean, of course, there's going to be some things that you have to discover about yourself and how you fit and how you connect, but it's got to be bigger than us. So what are some characteristics of a healthy church member? That's what I want, I want us to look at today. And I'm just going to give you three quick things. Uh, and then, of course, we, I'm, I'm going to mention spiritual gifts. But the first is a humble attitude. I don't think it's I don't think, it, I, don't think I, I believe it's by divine design that God mentions relational characteristics before God gives us any type of teaching about membership and about spiritual gifts. This is one of the things that a local church must have. A local church, like any other relationship, does not work properly without proper relationships. I mean, it just doesn't. A marriage doesn't work without proper relationships, without proper relating to each other. A friendship doesn't work unless there's a proper relating to one another. It's the same with a church body. No human relationships work without properly relating to each other. And it really doesn't matter how great the programs are. It doesn't matter how good the strategy or the giftedness of the people or the leadership structure or the facilities. None of this really matters if the relationships among church members are spoiled and there's conflict and there's, and there's division. We see this. In fact, we see this at the church in Corinth. Go look at the church at Corinth. Man, they had all of that. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of people that had spiritual gifts. Uh, they had a lot of things. Um, but the conflict had torn them apart. They were gifted, but they were divided. And so pride and division are toxic and are cancerous. And so this scripture tells us when it comes to church that we're not to be individualistic in our thinking. I say to you, everyone, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. This really lends itself to thinking of ourselves less and thinking of others more. And that's the essence of humility. Now, there is not to be an individualistic thinking when it comes to church. You know, am, am I getting what I want? Am I in the place that I want? Do I have the position or the respect that I want? But rather, there's to be a communal and relational approach to church. And humility is that distinguishing characteristic. So here's a companion verse, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. You're probably very familiar with these verses that talk about how Jesus was humble and talk about what Jesus did in his humility, how he emptied himself, and how Jesus went to the cross 
And Jesus set an example. He washed the disciples' feet. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And this is the type of mindset that we are called to, and we see it most of all in Christ, who is the head of the church, who is the ruler of the church, who's the head of the body. He is the most humble among us. And I don't know about you, but whenever we look at each other and try to think about humility, sometimes we fall short, right? Sometimes I'm humble and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes um, people show signs of humility and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we're successful and sometimes we fail. Sometimes our fleshly pride, you know, comes into things. That never happened with Jesus. Jesus was absolutely perfect. He was perfect in his humility. And he's called us to do for others what he did for us. The Bible says, let us do good to all, and especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Jesus went to a cross. He humbled himself, and he went to a cross as the greatest example of humility that we can possibly find. And so when it comes to being a church member, we have to have the mind of Jesus, the same mind that Jesus had whenever he went to the cross and died for us, is the same mind that we have to have whenever we think about our church and think about our church body and the people within it. So humble attitude. Number two, uh, a unifying spirit. A unifying spirit is something that makes a good church member. A unifying spirit. Look what uh, the Apostle Paul says here. He says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So in other words, there, is, there are some differences among people, and we'll get there in just a moment. It says, so we, that we have and should embrace with other believers that is going to last all throughout eternity. It's, th this is an eternal unity that we have and that God has called us to have with each other and is what Jesus prayed for us to have right before he humbled himself and went to the cross. Look what Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 11, verse 21, and verse 22. He said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that they may be one even as we are one. This is a call for unity that Christians are to have with each other that models the unity that exists between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the height of the unity that God has called us to. And do you know that if Satan had a choice between bad doctrine and disunity, I believe he'd choose disunity every time to destroy a church. In fact, what we see in the New Testament, we see everywhere in the New Testament two warnings. Guard your doctrine and guard your unity. And oh, we become, we become real good, and we're, we're real good at guarding our doctrine, right? You know, we have our, we have our doctrine statements, and, and, and we're real good at that. 
But the Bible also warns about disunity. And we see this in God's people in the Old Testament. We see this in the, um, the early inception of, of the church in the New Testament. And we see it in churches everywhere where there's, there's a lack of unity and a disconnection. So we don't just, and what these verses say is that we don't just belong to Jesus. We belong to each other. We belong to each other. This, this, is, this is amazing to me. You can be an answer to Jesus' prayer by coming connected to the body of Christ. You see, that's what church membership is all about. It's not just about getting your name on a roll. It's not just about attending church and being present. It is about being relationally connected and in unity with a group of Christians in a local church. That's what's most important. And you know if you do that, you will have no problem putting your name on a roll and going through whatever small little organizational process that a church might have in order for you to become an official member. And all churches have them, by the way. I have found that when someone is just like, man, I love these, I love Jesus, I love these people, I love this body of, that, I, that I worship with, I mean, I just, I like being here, I want to be a part. People like that don't have any problem like going to our connection class or, you know, making themselves an official. They don't have any problem with whatever man-made little administrative processes we put in place. They have no problem with that whenever they are committed in their heart to unity with God's people. You see, a unifying spirit says, I'm going to actively seek to pull other people close to me. I'm going to actively pull people close to each other. Which means that you have to initiate relationships. You have to take the initiative to do this. I often hear people say, well, I went to this church and I went to that church and I just can't really find a connection anywhere. And what I want to say, and I don't want to be rude, and I, um, but, but I want to say, well, what's your problem? Because, I mean, they say it like there's a problem like with every church in town. Well, I just can't find any good church around here. Listen. If you're in the deep south and you can't find a good church, the problem is not the churches. I promise you, the problem is not the churches. The problem is your willingness and your ability to say, I'm not just going to sit back and wait, all of, wait for all of these people to serve me and make me feel wanted. You're going to say, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to reach out. I'm going to try to initiate. I'm going to try to do things. Listen, if you come to our church and you run in here late, and as soon as the last amen sounds, you run out the door, you will never be connected here. You will never be connected anywhere just by doing that. You may say, well, I like the sermons and I like the music, but you will never be connected to the body of Christ if you do that with any church. I want to I encourage you. If that's you, if I just, if I just called you out, uh, if that's you, I want to encourage you to get here 15 minutes early and stand out in the lobby and talk to people. And stay 15 minutes. Don't look at your spouse when I just said that. I, don't look at your spouse and say, see, you're always making us late. I know. Get here, get here 15 minutes early and stand out in the lobby and drink coffee and talk to people. Stay 15 minutes late and, and, and talk to people. Try that. Just that simple step can help you get, get to know people. You're not going to be able to connect to people relationally while I'm up here preaching. You're just not going to be able to do it. 
if, if you try, you're going to be a distraction to me. So, you know, please don't do that. You know, stand up and shake hands and converse with one another while I'm talking. That would be awkward, right? You've got to do it in another, in another venue, in another place. This is one reason that we have in our discipleship pathway, we talk about the importance of getting connected. We talk about connecting with one another. And we've designed our life groups in order to help to facilitate this connection. We have a philosophy of small groups that is not teaching driven, but is relationally driven. We talk about life groups not as a place where you go to be instructed, but as a place where you go to get relationally connected. Now, obviously, there's some instruction that takes place there, and we've done all types of things. You know, we do text-based, you know, curriculum and all that type of stuff in order for there to be a unity of teaching and things like that and to help facilitate these types of things. And so I'm not saying that teaching is not important, but if you are a leader of a life group, we, we don't call you teachers. You notice we try, not to, we, we try not to call our life group leaders teachers. We try not to call you teachers. We want to call you leaders. You are teaching in some respect, but the goal is to lead a group of people to connect relationally. And some of you are gifted at teaching, and some of you are not. doesn't matter. You can still be the leader of that life group. And instruction will take place, but you're connecting people together. Listen, for those of you in our church, last week, if you're a leader in our church in any capacity, last week I warned you of the danger of being so involved in leadership that you're not a worshiper anymore. And today I want to give you another warning. If you're a leader in our church doing whatever, you, whatever it is that you do, whether you hold babies in the nursery or you're you know, uh, uh, a greeter at the door, you teach a life group, sing in the choir, whatever, whatever it is that you do, worship is extremely important, but so is connecting. You know, you can be so busy that you're not connecting with people. And we would see three tiers of, of obligation that, that, that you have when you come here. We want you to be a worshiper. We want you to be connected. And then we want you to do whatever it is that you do in leadership and volunteerism. We don't ever want your leadership and volunteerism to be elevated over the fact that you show up here to worship and you show up here to connect. And we want to be very, very careful about that. So all that to say is these things are important. Jesus died on a cross, not just so that we could be saved and connected to him, so that we could, but so that we could be connected to each other. So how do we do that? Number three, a good church member has some type of grace-based function. So we talk about this. This is where we're going to get into spiritual gifts. Just, and I'm only going to spend about five minutes on this, but... A grace-based function. Look what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. It talks about these gifts as some type of function. Not, not necessarily some type of natural ability that you have, but a function within the body, okay? The eye has a function of seeing. The ear has a function of, of hearing and so forth. And it's, it's the same way with the body of Christ. There's a function, and we call that a gift. And that gift, this is, this is really important, that gift is not for you. The nature of a gift is that it's for someone else. That gift is to be a channel of grace and blessing to other people. Okay, this, all you, all, this is what all you type A people in the room have been waiting for. 
all right, enough with all this touchy-feely relational stuff. Okay, I'm going to try to be humble. I'll be connected. Tell me what you want me to do, please. What's the goal? I know it's what all you type A people are thinking right now. And that's, that's kind of what this is. However, there has to be a dispensing of the grace and the blessing of God through whatever function it is that you perform within the body of Christ. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He humbled himself, he prayed for unity, and then he did something. He did something for us that dispensed grace to us. He died on a cross for our sins. He taught while he was here. Um, he performed miracles and he healed people. He preached and he healed. He blessed people. He talked to people. He counseled people. He did all those things. And then he went to the cross. And all of this brought grace to us. It brought blessing to us. And so what you don't want to do is you don't want to say, I want to find my spiritual gift and I want to begin to perform it so I can feel good about myself. That's not the goal. The goal is so that you can dispense grace to other people just like Jesus did whenever he served people and whenever he went to the cross. Gifts are for dispensing kindness and mercy and blessing and spiritual grace to other people. You see, what Jesus did for us is what he commands us to do for other people. See, this is what you do at church. Stated simply, when you come to church, you give glory to Jesus and you give grace to others. I mean, that's, that, that's what it's all about. And too often, people have this consumer mentality when it comes to church. And they think only about what they're getting out of it. Well, I didn't get a lot out of a sermon. I didn't get a lot out of the music. I don't get a lot out of my life group. I don't really get a lot out of this. Is that, really, is, that really why we, is that really why we want to unify with a church body? So that we can be takers? Is that, is that really what it's all about? It's not. We shouldn't be asking, what am I getting out of it? Like, I'm a little bird and I want to be fed. Beep, beep. I mean, we, we don't need to have that kind of mental. What am I getting out of it? We want to say, how am I contributing to it? That's the goal. That's the goal in our spiritual gifts. And the scripture tells us very plainly about our spiritual gifts. It says, let us use them. That's a command, by the way. Let us use them. Let us use them. And what are some of these gifts of grace? Let me just mention some to you right here. We see them in verse 12 through verse 6. Prophecy, service, uh, teaching, exhortation, uh, contributing, leading, uh, acts of mercy. Now let me tell you what I don't like about lists. What I don't like about lists. We have a tendency to look at a list and try to pick and choose. How many of you have ever done a spiritual gift inventory? How many of you have ever done them? I hate those things. I've taken them before too, and maybe they can be useful tools in helping us with some self-discovery. But I really don't like the, I really don't, I don't know, I really don't like those things because if we're not careful, we'll use it as an excuse. I've heard people say, as an excuse for their meanness, 
Well, I just, I just have the gift of prophecy, and I'll just tell it like it is. That just drives me crazy. I want to say, you don't have permission to be mean to people just because you might have the gift of prophecy. I've heard other people say, uh, well, I don't have the gift of mercy. Listen, <laughs> all Christians are supposed to have mercy. We're all supposed to, I mean, we're all supposed to have mercy. Well, I don't have a lot of money and I can't really give to the church. There's other people that are gifted at doing that, not me. I don't have that gift of generosity up there. Really? <laughs> I mean, you see where I'm going with this. It's, it's not like we're, we're excluded from teaching people or serving people or exhorting people or giving to the church or leading people or doing acts of mercy. We're, we're not excluded from these things. It's not like we could point to ways that God's grace is present among us and say, oh, well, that's just not me. No, we're a part of the whole body. And Paul ex explains it really good in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, the finger shouldn't say to the foot, I don't need you. We're not part. We don't do things. I mean, what, you, you, can, you can go read that some other time. The really, the, the, what we need to ask ourselves is how is the Holy Spirit supernaturally using me to dispense grace to other people? And it can be in an official volunteer or paid staff position in a church. Or it could be in an unofficial way to where just as a connected part of the body, the Lord uses you in certain ways to encourage people and to minister grace to people. Listen, you don't, you don't need permission. You don't need to come to the church office and ask permission to be a dispenser of grace within the church. I mean, this is, this, this is just how the Lord has built you and what He wants to use you through. Now, now look, you can't go, you, you can't go into a life group and, and kick out the leader and say, I'm taking over now. I mean, you, know, you, can't, just, you can't just force your way. You, you understand what I mean whenever I, whenever I say you don't need our permission. You, you can just be a dispenser of grace just by the nature of being connected to the body and being a good church member. And this is, this is really important because it's not just about what you do so that you can feel good about yourself. It's about being a church member. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. You say, well, I don't like the word member. Okay, how about the word part? Partnership. We also, in some of your translations, rather than the Bible saying member, it says part. Okay, so you call it a partnership. You can call it a membership. Call it whatever you want to want to. But it is a faithful gathering, vitally connected, vitally functioning part of a local body of Christ. This is, the, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what he wants for you. Not just attend, not just to skip around a bunch of places, and whenever you're not getting out of it like you wanted to anymore, you leave. It's not, that's not what Jesus has called you to. He's called you to be a vitally functioning, functioning part of the body. Let me ask you some questions in response. Here's some questions for you. Maybe you would ask the question today, how is God wanting me to be a channel of grace to others? Would you pray about that? Would you, would you spend some time praying about that and just asking the Lord, God, how do you want me to dispense grace to this people, these people? How do, you, how do you want me to show love and grace to all of the people of Stephen Street Baptist Church. 
And listen, if it's not here, we can, we, can help, we can help you find a church. I know pretty much every pastor in town, and we're friends, and we talk about y'all, by the way, just so you know. If you go from here to there, we talk about you. Just let you know, all right? We, we, we know. Well, look, you're all, you're, we're, we're all in the same sheet pen, right? I mean, we really are. And that's the way that as churches in town, that's, that's the way we really see it. I want every church in town, the ones that obey Scripture, I want them all to, I want them all to be successful. And they want that for me and, and, and for our church as well. Maybe you ask yourself that question, how is God wanting me to be a channel of grace to others? Pray about that. Pray about that. Number two, am I fully connected to God's church and functioning as a member of the body? I think maybe you should uh, really think about um, do you have a spirit of unity? Are you walking in humility? Are you an official member of the church? Uh, look, some of y'all will come to a church for five years. And then it's like, oh, well, I guess I better join. <laughs> That's kind of backwards. Uh, you, should, you, should really, you should really make the commitment and go through the processes and, and become connected. And here's, here's the last thing I would have you ask today. Ask yourself today, am I saved? You know, you're not a true spiritual part of the body of Christ unless you're saved. Unless you know Jesus as your Savior, you're not a part, and I didn't talk about this today, but you're not a part of the universal body of Christ. And so therefore, you can't really be a part of a local body of Christ. You have to be saved. Uh, and that takes a measure of humility. That takes a measure of unity. That also takes some initiative on your part in order, in order to do this. You have to be saved before you can really be relationally connected, before you can be vitally connected, before you can dispense God's grace to other people, before He can use you. You, you, have, you have to be saved first. And like I said all throughout this sermon, Jesus is our ultimate example of humility when He died on the cross, of unity when He prayed for all of us uh, to come together. As a dispenser of grace whenever through the cross, we, he now offers salvation to anyone that will repent and anyone that will believe. So you have to believe in Jesus. It starts with your relationship with him. It starts with saying and admitting and knowing and confessing that you're a sinner and saying, Lord, I, 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 I repent today. I'm going to turn away from my sin, turn away from myself, and I'm going to believe in Jesus, and I'm going to live differently. And I, I don't know if maybe the Lord would place a conviction on your heart today about any of these three things that maybe you need to respond to today. But obviously, you know, a call to church membership and commitment, a call to be saved, really, really, if, if you think about it, if you think about being saved, being a church member, and being baptized, really all three of those are kind of wrapped up and folded together. They all, they all, they all kind of should happen around the same time. And so pray about these things. Let's, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I just want to give you a few moments just in quietness and silent prayer uh, just to pray about these things.